is later on today. The focus of the sermon is on the verses 7 to 16, but we'll be re- begin reading at verse 1 to get the context. So Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does that mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the body of saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open and follow along as the sermon goes through this passage in order. Beloved brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think it's safe to say that we all enjoy receiving a gift, especially for the children. Maybe there's a birthday coming up or they look forward to Christmas. But actually, even as adults, everyone enjoys receiving a well-thought-out gift. Not all gifts are created equal, though. Maybe you've participated in a gift exchange at Christmas sometime, and it's clear from what you received that not a whole lot of thought went into that choosing of that gift. It was a gift given more out of tradition or out of obligation than anything. And in a case like that, you might politely smile and say thank you, but that gift just gets forgotten in the closet, or maybe it gets re-gifted. It's different, though, if we receive a gift that is perfectly suited for us. When someone has clearly put time and thought into finding just the right thing for us, showing how much they know us, then we really know their gift will give us great enjoyment and be useful to us. As the overall theme of Ephesians 4, Paul is saying that as believers, we're called to work for the unity of the church. But we're not just told to go off and do it in our own strength. No, verse 7 tells us that we are equipped for that task, through the grace that has been given to each one of us by Christ. Then verse 8 tells us where that gift of grace comes from. It says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Now that's somewhat 
cryptic verse starts to make a little more sense when you learn that it was customary in the ancient world that when a king was crowned or when he returned victorious from battle, that he would give gifts to his people, showering them with the spoils of war. So you see, Paul is referring to that custom. He's pointing out that our Lord Jesus conquered sin and Satan on the cross and that he has now ascended to his throne. Jesus has been crowned as king. Jesus' ascension, his coronation, is therefore cause for celebration. So it's entirely appropriate that at that time he would shower his people with gifts. And he knows us so well. He knows just what we need to live as his people. His gifts are ideally chosen for us. They're perfect gifts which we can use and treasure. In our text, Paul draws our attention to one specific gift that was given to the church to help it in its work to grow for unity. And God's very thoughtful, very intentional, and very useful gift is that he gave leaders to the church. We need to recognize our leaders as a gift from Christ, and then we'll be able to use that gift for its intended purpose. To that end, I proclaim to you the word of the Lord this afternoon under the theme, Our Savior has given a gift so that we may fulfill our calling to work for unity. We'll consider three points. First, what this gift is. Second, the purpose of this gift. And finally, the need for this gift. So what is the gift that Paul gives? Take a look at verse 11 of our text. Paul says that the Lord gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. And we find similar lists in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. You might well object, that's not one gift. That's a group of gifts. But when we take a deeper look, we find that each of the roles listed in verse 11 has something in common. Each one of them has the common denominator of being people with specific tasks who rightly handle the word of God. So it's fair to conclude that that group of leaders can be seen as one gift from Jesus, given to the church across the centuries. And a look at this gift tells us that some of those roles were unique only to the early church, while others endure to this day. The apostles, for example, were eyewitnesses to the work of our Lord. They were the close disciples who traveled with Jesus, witnessing all that he did and hearing directly from him. He personally commissioned each of them as apostles to the early church only, establishing it for the ages to come by giving them special knowledge and authority. The Apostle Paul likewise received his commission directly from the Lord Jesus. None of these apostles, though, were replaced when they died. Then there are the prophets. The prophets are mentioned again in Acts 11 and in Acts 21. One of them, Agabus, is mentioned by name. Agabus first predicted a great famine, and then later he predicted that Paul would be bound by the Jews when he went to Jerusalem. These prophets received special revelation in order to guide the early church in its time of infancy. Keep in mind, however, that prophets are always subject to other prophets. They do not speak infallibly. When we read of evangelists, we shouldn't let our thought be clouded by the use of that term today. The word evangelist literally means proclaimer of good news. So the ministers who preach the word of God are seen here. When we hear of shepherds, we easily think of pastors. But we should remember that Peter used this term in his first letter to refer specifically to elders. 
Elders, of course, also handle the word of God as they go about their work in the congregation, exhorting and, and encouraging the congregation. And finally, there's the mention of teachers, which points to someone who's busy with the word of God to instruct others. Again, ministers might primarily come to mind, but also elders are also in view here. So while each of the roles listed in this verse has a somewhat different focus, the common denominator is that Jesus Christ has given men to lead his church and entrusted them to work with his word. While not specifically mentioned in Paul's list, it's also fair to include deacons, because they also handle the word of God as they go about their duty in the congregation, the ministry of mercy offering comfort and guidance. It's appropriate, therefore, as this congregation elects new elders and a new deacon, that we make a point of recognizing our office bearers as a gift of Christ to the church. When we understand that office bearers are a gift from Christ, we won't be tempted to look at them through the lens of our democratic society. Democracy sees representation from the people, by the people, for the people. But if you think about it then, democracy treats people as the supreme authority. You might hear at every election, candidates make speeches, win or lose, and they say, the people are always right. That's nonsense. We should see through that. Democracy might be preferable to dictatorship, but its basic reliance on the wisdom of people is idolatrous. In God's church, the congregation is certainly involved in choosing office bearers, but both the congregation and those chosen for office have to always be aware that office bearers are given by Christ. In the church, there's no campaigning for office. Office bearers may come from among the people, but in the end, they're a gift from Christ for the benefit of the church. They are not the people's representatives. This is reflected in the first question in the form for ordination, which says, do you feel in your hearts that God himself, through his congregation, has called you to these offices? Their calling is not from the congregation, but from Christ. For this reason, in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul exhorts the congregation, respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Also in Hebrews 13, 17, we're commanded, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. These exhortations make even more sense when we consider why the gift of leaders was given to the church. What's the purpose of Christ giving us this, this gift? That's our second point. Verse 12 tells us that the task of those entrusted to handle God's word is to equip the saints. What do the saints need to be equipped for? Two things are mentioned. First, they need to be equipped for the work of ministry. And the word ministry here should be understood in the sense of serving. It's the same root word that's used for deacon. It's also the word Paul uses to refer to himself as the servant of God. So believers need to be trained to willingly minister to each other, to serve each other, helping each other live lives of service to the Lord. Earlier we read in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're all members of one body, that we all have gifts to contribute to the body, and that we need one another. So it's the task of our leaders to equip and train the members of the congregation to use their gifts in the service of others, encouraging them to seek the well-being of their brothers and sisters in the Lord. Why do we do that? Well, that's the second part of verse 12. We're to serve each other 
for building up the body of Christ. In addition to using our gifts for each other's physical well-being, verse 13 mentions a second purpose of office bearers. They're to build us up in knowledge with the goal that we will all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Here we see the teaching aspect of the office bearer's role. Everyone must be thoroughly instructed in the message of the gospel so that we all come to a unity of faith. And that true knowledge is always grounded in the Son of God. The core message of the gospel is that God saves us from our sins through Christ and that all his benefits are ours through faith. That is the basis of our unity. Our shared identity in Christ is what joins us together. Keeping in mind this image of the church as a body, we might say that the Lord has given office bearers to be like personal trainers, like coaches, who encourage and teach the individuals of the congregation to get into mental or into spiritual shape. It's fair to say that office bearers are called spiritual bodybuilders. And this training has a goal. Its purpose, as verse 13 concludes, is to help everyone reach mature manhood, achieving the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see then, brothers and sisters, that our Savior gives the leaders of the church the dual task of guiding it to greater unity and of bringing it to spiritual maturity, helping us all to become more Christ-like. The church is to be developed into a well-rounded spiritual body, focused on Christ and developing in love for one another. That's described in the last few verses of our text, where we read about growing up into him who is in the head, who is the head, into Christ. Christ is the source of life in this church, this body. In order to live and thrive, all the parts have to be connected to him. So we can therefore think of office bearers as the sinews and the ligaments of this body, which help the body grow into Jesus and become more and more connected in the process. And that isn't some cold, calculated medical procedure. It's not based on state-of-the-art management techniques. No love is in the air. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul wrote that the greatest of all the gifts is love. And the reason that Jesus gives the gift of office bearers, then, is to build a well-functioning body filled with love that builds itself up in love. What a glorious task and honor it is to be called to work on equipping the saints to grow in unity and maturity. And at the same time, what a tremendous responsibility it is. Those brothers who are currently in office or those who have served in the past can attest to the privilege and the sense of responsibility that comes with that calling. How amazing and humbling and marvelous it is that our Lord takes ordinary sinful people from among the congregation and uses them in this way. Other than the minister who has extensive training, office bearers have been trained through attending church, through potentially Christian schooling, through catechism in their youth, certainly through personal study, through prayer, through knowing the word of God and spending time in it. All of them, though, including those who preach the word, are just normal men. They're given by Christ to his flock to help it become what it is, a unity, a body filled with love. They do this work with only one tool, the word of God. These are imperfect men. They don't have all the answers, but they come to you equipped with God's authority as found in his word. 
As Paul describes the task that Christ gives, he also brings out the need for this gift, and that's our final point. It's not hard to figure out what that need is. We've been talking a lot about unity and maturity. Paul mentions the goal specifically in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. The implication, of course, is that Paul recognizes that in the church of the Ephesians where he's writing, there is disunity and immaturity among the congregation. The Ephesian church was a very young church, a mixture of believers from both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds who had to learn to live as one new community. And immaturity is to be expected when many are new to the faith. We know from other letters of scripture that the early churches, these young Christians, were very vulnerable to false teachers. Think of how Paul chastised the Galatians for so quickly abandoning the gospel of grace that he had preached to them. As soon as some other people came, telling them, no, you have to still obey the law of Moses in order to be saved, they got discouraged and disturbed. The Corinthian church, it seems, couldn't let go of the habit of focusing on their favorite leader rather than focusing on the teaching that that person brought. So it's not surprising when division arose there. In Corinth, they also had trouble understanding that the spiritual gifts that God gave them were to be used for the benefit of everyone. They were in the habit of applying those gifts for their own personal benefit. And when Timothy was working in Ephesus, the church there, we read, was influenced by troublemakers who stressed genealogies and myths instead of just listening to the scriptures. And indeed, if you as individuals are not well-grounded in the faith, in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, in the scriptures then you too will be easily swayed by the latest opinion, especially when those who bring the false teaching look so good. They sound great. They're like angels of light. And that wasn't just then. The church today has not become immune to the forces of division, especially when there's immaturity. We're easily swayed by the smoothest talker, the one with charisma oozing out of their pores. You can see it in the ministers of some of the megachurches or maybe the media empires who strut around like popes. It continues to be remarkable just how easily people can be swayed by the way someone says something rather than by the substance of what they say, even if it's outright heresy. In the letter to the Galatians and in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul freely admits that his speaking abilities really didn't compare well with some of the smooth talkers who were deceiving the churches that he had founded. This human tendency to be easily distracted makes the gift of office bearers even more important in helping the church grow in unity and maturity, and the need remains to this day. As he builds his church over time, the Lord draws people to himself who need to be instructed. As children are born into the community, or as people come to the church from the outside, they need instruction. Faith is not passed on automatically or genetically. We aren't saved because our parents were believers. We're not saved because we're members of the church. Faith comes by the working of the Spirit through the Word in the hearts and minds of each person. Even for those who have been involved with the church for a long time, maybe their entire lifetime, the need for constant equipping and re-equipping continues. In Revelation 2, the Lord Jesus rebukes the church at Ephesus for allowing their first love to grow cold. Even seasoned Christians can begin to wander from the truth and believe and do silly things. They're swayed by teaching that sounds good, but it's based on something other than God's word. 
there are outside forces and influences in this world which push and pull and threaten the unity of the church. It's tempting to join in on whatever the latest spiritual fad is, be it in how to do church or how to do outreach. Something new comes in. People clamor to make change. But then five years later, something even newer and seemingly better comes along, and the church is still licking its wounds from the last division over the th this or that. Then there's forces in our own hearts that try to pull us apart. Our own sinful desires, when we stubbornly insist on our own way and our own understanding, tear us apart. The devil is the great deceiver. He loves to see chaos and division in the church. And all of this makes clear how necessary Christ's gift of office bearers is for the church. They're the spiritual bodybuilders. They're the spiritual watchmen who must be on alert at all times for all efforts to destroy the church's unity. They watch for warning signs, for indications that the first love of the church of Christ is slipping. And they help us stay on the narrow path that leads to salvation. When a congregation's aware of how important this gift of leadership is, when she recognizes the role of office bearers in helping her grow and mature, when she sees the need to be built up in love, then she'll also thank Christ for the office bearers and regularly pray for those who are entrusted with this task. Healthy church life requires healthy leadership. It requires men who are conscious of their calling and conscientious in fulfilling that calling. It also requires a congregation which recognizes their need for solid leadership. We're all by nature sinners, prideful people who would rather have things our way to be the ones in control of our own lives. People like us, though, when filled with the Spirit, realize more and more how much we depend on the Lord for everything, how much we depend on him even to appreciate the gifts that he's given. Since we depend completely on the Lord for such a benefit, let's end this sermon by bowing before him in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us through Christ, the Ascended King. We thank you for the office bearers you give us, who work with your word in order to equip us to know and love you more, to show love and grace to one another, and to share the hope that we have in you with our neighbors. Help us to receive these brothers as those called by Christ to serve the church, and grant us all a deep gratitude for this gift, so that together we may grow in unity and maturity into our head, Jesus Christ, being built up in love. Be with these brothers. Give each one wisdom, love, and patience to equip the saints in accordance with your calling and for your glory. Amen. We'll now stand and sing one, Psalm 133, stanzas 1 and 2.